me, but I hope that you would hear what the Spirit says. And um, if you would, I want you to look at Matthew first, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 24, and I want you to look at verse number 32. The Bible says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree, tender, and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. We pray with me, Lord, as we come to you tonight, we thank you uh, for your blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the meal that we shared tonight, for all the hands that prepared it, for allowing us to be in this place of worship and a place of... Uh, uh, allow me, Lord, tonight to, uh, uh, as crazy as this sounds, Lord, let the preacher and me uh, be calmer than the teacher, Lord. Help me tonight to be able to look at these scriptures and let's break these things down. Uh, I pray, Lord, that it would be through your anointing, through your power, Lord, because we have nothing without you. Uh, God, I pray just as all those Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles prayed, Lord, that your power would be upon the words that we speak and that you would guard every thought <clears throat> and everything that comes out of our mouth. Lord, we love you. We ask you, Lord, to be with us and help us not to have any distractions tonight. God, I know that Satan many times wants to throw us off the mark. And Lord, especially when we're trying to talk about something as serious as this. And Lord, we ask you that you just help us tonight. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, looking at this... I'm just going to do this real quick. This is going to be real simple. We're not going to worry about all of these things. Um, as you can tell already, some of the stuff may not be working, and if it doesn't work, then we'll kill all that stuff. We'll let it go um, because I really want you to focus on the Scriptures. I do have some pictures, and so if you guys can't get that to work, then you can just reboot everything and then start it back up, and that would be best because I want the pictures at the end. If you've got there in Matthew chapter number 24, we're not going to read all of Matthew 24 because what I want to do is take you in a moment to another gospel. And on another gospel, it's going to be uh, simply in the book of Luke. We're going to talk about that toward the end of our service tonight. But um, it's still the same account is what we're going to be talking about. But in Matthew, uh, this is the scripture that many people, when you talk about the book of Daniel, you talk about the tribulation period in the book of Revelation that we've been preaching on on Sunday, everyone automatically goes to Matthew 24 because this is Jesus teaching about it. But you've got to understand something. When he is giving this discourse, when he is giving this message to the people, you have to understand and separate, or you'll never understand prophecy at all. You have to separate North Highland Baptist Church from what God was speaking to the Jews and what what he's speaking to us. And the reason I say that is so many people try to tie the United States, they try to tie the church and all that stuff into prophecies of the Old Testament. And the Bible says that it was hidden from their eyes. They didn't understand what the church would actually be. And now here's what a lot of people tell you. They say, well, Brother Steve, the word for church just means assembly of people. I understand that, but it's different. The assembly of people in the Old Testament were God's chosen people nationally. God chose Abraham to do what, Brother Bill? That was to bring his word into this world and to bring his son into this world that what did he tell Abraham all nations will be blessed because of you he said Abraham I will bless all of those that bless you but what did he say he said I will curse all of those that curse you okay and he's what he was saying was is not 
cussing them or cursing them out or, or casting a spell or a hex on them, what he was saying was, is that those that are joined in with you and are a blessing to you, in other words, supply you with nutrients, supply you with blessings, I will also in turn give them water. I will give them food. I will take care of them. And he says, but all of those that don't, he said, I will withdraw my blessings from them. But to understand what God told Abraham and what he told Moses and what he told all the patriarchs, he also told them through the book of Jeremiah and Isaiah and others that if you don't follow me, he said, if you follow me, I will bless you and you will dwell in this house forever. He said, but if you don't follow me, he said, I will remove my hand from you. He said, if you don't follow me, I will put my hand of judgment upon you. If you don't follow me, I will take my blessings and I will give them to someone who is no one and I will bless them in order to make them jealous so that they would come back. Amen. Well, the Bible says, look at verse number 32 of Matthew chapter 24 with me. It says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth his leaves, know ye that summer is nigh. Uh, Patty, give this to Brandon. He can have this. He would have everything that he needs. That's what he's looking for. But it says, learn a parable of the fig tree. These guys are good. You're fixing to watch something. They're going to take everything that I put in their computer when, they, when it went down. They're going to put it back in there. I'm telling you, they are, and they're going to do it good. But it says that learn this parable. The Bible says we need to learn something. Jesus is telling the Jewish nation, he says, you need to learn something. Learn a parable. As you're thinking about all these things, and we're going to talk about what he, talk, what he said to them earlier. They were looking at the temple, and the disciples were saying, look at all the wonderful you know, uh, ornaments of the temple. Look at the beauty of it all. And Jesus said, I'll tell you, there shall not be a stone left upon another. He said, it's all going to be destroyed someday. And he went into telling them what the tribulation will be. But then Jesus ended and said, learn from the parable of the fig tree. He says, you want to know something and you want to know about my coming and you want to understand the sign of my coming? He said, then you need to learn a parable of the fig tree. When the branch is yet tender, whenever it is sprouting itself out and the leaves are sprouting out and the bud of the fruit is sprouting out, he says, and putteth forth his leaves, he says, you know that what? Summertime is just around the corner, that it's not. So in order for us to learn a parable from the fig tree, I want you to look at what the fig trees actually represent. If you look back, and you can write this in your notes, you don't have to turn there, but the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 7 that Adam and Eve were in the garden. They sinned. We know that they sinned. Whenever they sinned, they realized something. What, what did they realize when they sinned? They were naked. And many Christians today still don't realize that. <laughs> no, I, was, I want to get a little bit more amen, especially from, you know, uh, but they don't realize that they're naked and they need to cover up. And uh, I, I remember the first time I ever preached about uh, Adam and Eve uh, and being naked in the garden. I remember uh, Cody coming and talking to me about it. So, but we had a good discussion about that. What did they do? The Bible says that they took something and sewed them together. Man, I don't know about y'all, but my wife gets irritated at the tags in the back of her shirt. Can you imagine wearing fig leaves around, right? That would be hard. It would be very difficult, right? But the Bible says that God clothed them with the skins of the animals. And so when you're looking at that, right off the bat, that fig tree or that fig leaf is, is in our scriptures from the very beginning of the Bible. Not only that, but the Bible says in the book of John, and I think it's in chapter number one, there's a guy by the name of Nathaniel. The Bible says he's sitting out underneath a fig tree and he's thinking about things of God and I think he was thinking about the scripture pertaining to Jacob's ladder and you know the angels and seeing those things and the Bible says that one of them brings him to Jesus and he says that I know you I saw you under the fig tree can you imagine you know Nathaniel turned around and go what are you talking about Jesus 
you know, Willis, I was trying to do it in my best voice. I have to do these things to keep you all awake. And some of you probably don't remember the what you're talking about Willis things. But uh, uh, he, he, what are you talking about? He said, I saw you when you were underneath the fig tree. And you think about it, all through Scripture, the Bible uses the fig tree. It uses pomegranates. It uses the fig tree a lot about the fruit and about being Israel. The Bible also uses an illustration of them being like an olive tree. An olive tree is much like a Baptist. They don't get taller, they just get wider. And um, the, the, the sprouts, as they fall down, the little shoots would come up and they'll graft them back on, you know, and it creates the branch and more olives and more olives. So the Bible says that we've got to learn from it. Well, the first thing we should learn is that this fig tree that he's speaking about is a representation of Israel. It's not a representation of the new church. It's not a representation of the book of Acts and the church and how they started. The fig tree was a representation of Israel because the Bible says that Jesus came and looked at the fig tree to see if there was fruit. And there was an Old Testament prophecy about that also. Here's the thing in your notes. Number one, what is the parable of the fig tree? When he says learn of the parable of the fig tree, we need to know what the parable is. Well, there's actually a few parables about the fig tree. It's not just this one alone. The first one you'll find in Luke, and it's in chapter 13, and it starts in verse number 6. It says, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this tree, or fig tree, and find none. Look at what he says. Cut it down. <laughs> Simple, direct, right to the point. He said, I've come three years. I'm tired of it. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? You know what he's saying? He's saying, why do we even let it bother the dirt? He says, and he answering said unto him, who? It's the one that owns the, owns the vineyard, said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, I shall cut it down. You know, what does this parable teach us? First of all, look at the characters that are in this parable. The parable that Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 13, number one, the first one is, look at the characters. We have God. God is being who? God is the owner of the vineyard. And God not only is the owner of the vineyard, but listen, if you're an owner, owner of the vineyard and you're a creator and you own the soil and you own everything, you can plant in it whatever you want. No matter if you want to say, God, why did, you, why did you plant the nation of Israel as fig trees and you didn't do that to us? God can do what he wants on that. That's where the sovereignty of God comes in, okay? The sovereignty of God is, is that he is God and we are not. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They're higher and they're much greater than ours. But God had a purpose and God had a plan. God didn't look down at Moses and Abraham and go, oh, you know what? There's something special about them. Abraham was a liar. Abraham lied about his sister, or his wife, being a sister. Moses, why? we know he was the first basket case ever to be recorded. He was. His mama put him in a basket when he was born and sent him down the river. You know what? Moses was a sinner just as well as I. Moses, when God said, listen, don't strike the rock this time, speak to the rock. He'd already been with God and been taught by God for at least 40 years of his life. You know, and what did he do? He hit the rock again. God said, you're not going to go into the promised land. You know what he was saying? He wasn't telling him that he wasn't going to go into heaven, church, or that Moses wasn't great. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, he's going to pop back up again. Amen. <laughs> we think about it. But he's not telling him you're not going to get to go into heaven. He's saying you're not going to have rest on this earth because why? You're not going, you're not obeying me. 
And just like they were disobedient, and they're not going to go into the land of rest, you're not either, Moses. You're not going to go into that land. The parable says that we have God as the character. He's the owner and the creator of the vineyard. Number two, we look at it and we have Jesus. And we learned this from another parable of a vineyard. The Bible says that he sent prophets, he sent teachers, he sent all these people. They killed them all, stoned them all. But it says, I'll send my son. The Bible says that this person came and what was Jesus doing in this parable? In chapter 13, he says he spoke the parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And it says, and came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, behold, these three years I come looking for fruit and I find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? The one that was the dresser of the vineyard he comes in and he's looking for fruit and he finds none and what does he say that thing shouldn't bother the dirt anymore get rid of it but then we have the third character in that story and it's the fig tree the fig tree representing Israel you notice that it was planted in his vineyard there may have been grapes in the vineyard there may have been that all the wonderful grapes growing in that vineyard but in that fig tree uh, in that vineyard he had a fig tree also planted so you see God the Father, you see Jesus that's coming and tending that and doing the things in order to do what? To help that thing to produce fruit. But then you see the other, and it's Israel themselves. Church, you got to look at the storyline of it all. Israel was fruitless. They didn't have fruit. They were, they were basically this right here. They were professors, but not possessors. They were people that professed religion, but they never showed a real relationship with, with God. For 400 years from Malachi, at the end of Malachi, all the way up until the birth of Jesus Christ, they professed it all. But what did God say about them? I am tired of your sacrifices. You've made me weary in relenting. He said, I am tired of relenting. I'm tired of coming back and forth. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to think about a holy, righteous God who has said from his throne, I am sick and tired of dealing with you. Man. You know, that doesn't sound like the passive God that's being sold in the church today. That doesn't sound like the goody-goody gumdrop and all the fluff and cotton candy God that's talked about today. God loves you no matter what, and you come on in, and you can keep doing whatever you want to do, and you can go to heaven, and all is okay as long as you do this, as long as you do that, and it doesn't matter, and you can go live like you want. That's not the true God in the Bible. The Bible says that He's a holy and just God, and that repentance is needed in order for what? Repentance is needed. We need fruits that are meat for repentance. Now, not the fruits. We're not talking about, okay, you got to be baptized to be saved, and you got to sing in the choir, you got to stand up here like Brent in order to be saved and all that, or you got to preach. We're not talking about that. You can do nothing to earn your salvation, no. But after you're saved, it shows. It comes out. It comes out in what? In a holy lifestyle. It comes out when you do sin and you do something wrong. What happens to you? There should be this total conviction. If you sin, there should be something gripping at your heart that actually feels like your heart is coming to your throat and you go, I should not do that. I should not have said that. I should not have done that. It should be to the point where you go, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. And let me say something to you. All you that are Christians... And you get down because you have sinned. And you feel like, oh, I'm just so sorry. And I'm just, I can't do anything right. Man, I just, it's so, I can't even walk this walk. Let me tell you something. You can't without the Holy Spirit of God. 
God's not depending on you to walk the walk with him. That's why he did what, Brother Bo? He sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you so that you would walk arm in arm with him. Amen? So that at times, listen, you're actually hooked up with him, and it's not you, but it's the Holy Spirit within you. Amen? This life that I now live, I live not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit of God. Anybody understand that? And so many people today, they're Christians, and when they fall into sin and they do something wrong, they feel miserable. And then the, then the, then the older, more mature Christian comes along and goes, well, you sorry, no good, low down, nothing. And they're already down at the bottom. And you're trying to convince them that they could do better. What you need to do is put your arm around them and say, I'm so glad, and put a big smile on when you do this, I'm so glad that you feel miserable. You should tell them that. Because that is your Holy Father loving you and chastising you. And you ought to thank God above that He chastised you because He chastens those or chastens those whom He loves. Amen. Amen. And when you feel guilty about sin and you're convicted, you ought to sit there and go, God, thank you so much for convicting me of my sin. Letting me know that I am in your hands and I am your child. Amen. Yeah, that's right. And you ought to look at him and go, I ain't going to be able to help you through this. But if you'll ask God to forgive you, he's got enough forgiveness already laid up for you. He'll forgive you, and then you can move on. We should never be boastful and prideful about sin. We should never come to the Lord and say, well, you've got to forgive me because you've got to be just to me because 1 John 1 and 9 says that you are just to forgive us, right? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that scripture is not pointing to you that he's just to forgive you, that he has to be just to you. What it means is, is that he told his son that he was going to die for the sins of the world, W-O-R-L-D, the whole world, amen? Not just the people that would be saved, not just the good little bitty people and all that stuff. Anybody that comes to Jesus can be saved. Amen. And he said you would die for the sins of the world and on the cross church he paid the penalty, the full penalty of all sins and every time you come asking God for forgiveness whether it is now if it's needed, if it's tomorrow if it's needed, if you have another day after that and you ask for forgiveness God the Father is just and holy to his son that died for our sins and he takes his blood, it's through his blood that he forgives you of your sins. Amen. Amen. All right, I told you, y'all are not praying right. You're not praying hard enough because I said I was not going to preach that I wanted to teach. Let us get calm and get back down. Look at the second thing because I don't want to hang out here much. I want to hang out at the end more than anything. Uh, if you've ever come to my house before, you know that I love to talk to you out on the front porch, but you need to get in the house. Look at this second thing. Why should there have been fruit? When Jesus came, when, when, when he was looking for that fruit and he found none, and the parable of that vineyard we just talked about in Luke 13, uh, where he said that it had no fruit, just cut it down. Why should the fig tree have had fruit? Listen to what the Bible says, Matthew 21, verse 18 through 20. And I think you have your references on your study notes. It says, now in the morning as he returned to the city, he's talking about Jesus. He went back, what it was, was he went back across the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives. Crossed down through and went to Bethany, where Lazarus and Mary and Martha and all of them were. And it says, now in the morning as he returned back into the city, he hungered. And I'm, I'm thankful for those words. Thank you, Lord, that you're hungry too. You know, I mean, I, when I get hungry and feel bad because I don't, probably don't need to eat more, I, I just remind myself that Jesus was hungry. He says he hungered. And Andrew Johnson would say he was hungry. Look at this, though. It says, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it 
and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? He said, It's gone. The fig tree is withered up. Church, if you look at that scripture, it says the exact same thing of the parable that Jesus had already given them. The parable he told them in Luke chapter 13, now we find that Jesus not just giving an illustration for the mind, now we have Jesus actually acting it out in front of them. We have Jesus that's portraying that. Uh, remember a few years ago, we did a, uh, a revival, uh, last, the Last Steps of Jesus revival here, and a lot of the messages that I preached, I asked the people, we dressed the stage up, I asked the people to act out those things because you can get the story sometimes, especially if you have an imagination and you can gather those things in, but... If you see it, sometimes it helps you. Uh, years and years ago, when we first got a little screen that was in here, and I, I put the brazen altar up there, and that thing was just burning and just rolling and burning and rolling and burning and stuff like that. When I put up, the people actually could see that, and they, they caught a hold of it, and it was like, oh, okay, I can, I can understand that. We have Jesus that taught the parable, but now we have Jesus that's saying, let, let, me, let me show you, let me act it out in front of you. I want you to know something. There are some commentators that, uh, listen, if, if I could be close to them, if they were still alive, I'd put a Holy Ghost headlock on them and, and, and just, I, I'm telling you, they just kind of just want to make you just mad sometimes. There are people that write stories and write things about this issue, about Jesus and the fig tree. I, I read an article from a guy that was not a commentator. He was a, uh, he was a devil, basically is what he was, because I'm telling you, he had a demon in him, the things that he was saying about Jesus. He said this was Jesus having his sneaker uh, diva fit, that he was mad and that Jesus was angry and that this was Jesus showing us in Scripture that he was pitching a hissy fit and uh, was saying that um, what a shame it was to be called the Son of God, but yet do that fit like that and stuff. Let me tell you something. This is not Jesus having a hissy fit. This is not Jesus having a diva moment. If Jesus wanted that fig tree to have figs on it, he could have made those things grow big as bowling balls if he wanted to. If Jesus wanted that to be done, it wasn't about all the hunger, church. It was him showing in the flesh what we need to see sometimes. And he was acting out that parable that he told. And he walked over there showing these disciples. He had to speak to them and let them know that he was hungry that morning as he came in. And he had to go over there to that fig tree so that those disciples, Randy, would know that he was hungry and that he was looking for something to eat. Now, here's what a lot of people say. Well, Brother Steve, this would be during the Passover time because this was after his triumphal entry. And so, therefore, it was at the Passover time during the spring. There wouldn't have been figs on there anyway. Well, why didn't we read in the Scriptures where the disciples stopped him and said, Lord, you know there's no figs on that thing. Leave it alone. Because that's not true. Because even the fig trees would have early fruit. That would be smaller, but they would be able to be eaten. And Jesus went and looked for that. Jesus walked over there, and after he saw that they had leaves and they did not have fruit, it says that he cursed the fig tree. He, he said, abracadabra, hocus pocus, no more figs, no more. No, he didn't do that. He didn't do a spell. You know what he did? Do you believe that Jesus is creator? Colossians chapter 1 says all things are created by Him and all things consist by Him. 
you know, the Bible says in John chapter 1, all things were made by him, and there wasn't anything made that was made. Amen. Jesus Christ was there in the beginning. They were all together, and as creator, those things were there. Church, when, the, when Lazarus was in the grave and he was dead, the speaker and giver of life called him out by name and said, come forth. Why? Because he has that power. Satan can't do that stuff. Jesus can because he is the Son of God. Amen. He is God in the flesh. So when he looked over at that fig tree and he cursed the fig tree, you know what he did? He actually showed what was going on in side of that fig tree immediately to the eyes and the moisture and the nutrients from the ground that was giving all of that tree life, he stopped it. He stopped the life. You say, brother, see, what do you mean? The Bible says when he comes in at the battle of Armageddon, it says a sharp two-edged sword comes out of his mouth, brother Adam, and he is going to what he spoke into existence. He is going to speak out. It's going to be by his word that he battles in that day. Church, he looked at that and he said, no more. You'll dry up. There's no more moisture. There'll be nothing else. There will be no more blessings. Jesus cursed the fig tree, meaning that he withdrew all of that, that moisture, all of the nutrients. Listen, some said that this tree was too early to even have fruit. Why would Jesus pitch a fit like this? Won't you look at Isaiah chapter 28, verses 4 and 5. It says, In the glorious beauty, which is in the head of the fat valley. <laughs> that's, where, that's where I live. Look at what it says. The glorious beauty, the beautiful fruit that's in the head of the fat valley, it says, shall be a fading flower and as the hasty fruit before summer. It says, when he that look upon it seeth it, while it is yet in his hand, he eateth it up in the day of the Lord of hosts. It says it would be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. It talks about that fruit that was that beginning early stages of fruit before summer came in and said that he would eat of those figs. Hosea chapter 9 verse 10 says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the what? First ripe in the fig tree at her first time. But they went unto Belpure, and it says, and separated themselves unto that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. Jesus, when he came that day, he was looking for that first fruit in their first time. He was looking for something that they should have had. Church, when you look at the parable of the fig tree in the one we were just talking about that Jesus gave the illustration, Matthew <clears throat> chapter 21, uh, and we're talking about how it should have had that fruit and all of those things, and he cursed it and uh, said that it wasn't anymore. What he's doing is, is he said, Israel, of all nations that should have fruit, I come looking. What did he say? He said, I've come to see my own sheep. You remember that? He came unto his own. His own believed him not and accepted him not. A prophet is not welcome even in his own home. And what he was doing, Brother Craig, he was coming to the people that he had what? He had nurtured for thousands of years. That he had blessed them and gave them water in a dry wilderness. Gave them blessings when they didn't deserve blessings. Gave them food from the heavens also gave them meat in due season. He did all of these things. He gave them the Word of God to help them to do what? <clears throat> to be spiritually mature. Do you know that the Word of God, your Word that you have there, that it's not something that you just bring on a service day. It's not something that you just pick up when you're in trouble. It, 
It can be, and it's great to do that, but it shouldn't just be that for you. It should be what guides you and matures you and nourishes you and helps you to do what? To become more and more in the mindset and heart set as our Lord. It should be something you take in every day in order to nourish your walk with the Lord, in order to help you not only get the nourishment so that also then you would flourish, that you would go out and you would bear fruit. What did Jesus tell all of those that day? He said, he said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. <clears throat> he wants you to bear fruit. He wants the fig trees to do what? And this is just crazy thinking, but he wants the fig trees to have figs on them. I mean, that's why I created the fig tree. You know what I mean? I hear people all the time. I, I've had a person in Belize ask me. I have a lot of young kids and stuff ask me. They're always talking about the Garden of Eden. They go, do you really believe it was an apple? I was like, I don't know if it was an apple. It doesn't say if it was an apple. You go to the Creation Museum up in Kentucky. They got that thing looking like something you've ever seen before. It looks like half banana, half dragon fruit, and half papaya. It's got all, it's like, you look at it, and I, I, I took a picture of it, and I told Patty, if we ever come across that, we can't eat that. You know, I got a picture of it on my phone. No, no, no. It's not about the fruit that they ate, church. It was about the disobedience. The whole story of creation in the beginning was never about fruit and what kind it was. But see, that's the mentality of the Christians today is that we want to know what we can get by with and what we can stay away from in order to still maintain a good walk with God. Well, I can tell you what it is. Do not disobey His Word. Take his, all of His Word in and obey it and don't disobey it. Amen? That, that would be the good thing. Listen, Jesus came looking for fruit from people that said they had fruit and when he saw it he used an illustration he said do you want to know what the children and the nation of Israel are like he said they're like this fig tree he said I've come over here looking for it for these three years I've come down here cultivating and looking in that a coinkydink three years three years of ministry of Jesus so I've come looking for all of this stuff and I found none you know that one time Jesus said something about a woman that was a Syrophoenician woman. She was a woman that was not connected to, uh, and I know some of y'all thought, man, what, what is that? I don't want to ever get Syrophoenician, you know. Uh, is that, you know, is it contagious? But it's, it's where she was from. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> but what she did, she had a daughter that was, she said, was grievously vexed with the devil. She had no rights to come to the Lord and claim anything according to the law, according to the book of the law, Moses. She had no rights to come and present herself as an Israelite because she wasn't that. And when she came to him, she said, Lord, thou son of David, you know, have mercy on my daughter. She addressed him in the wrong way. But then when the rubber meet the road, she just looked up at him and said, Lord, help me. That's all she said, Lord, help me. And he said, it's not right for me to give the the meat that's on the table, you know, to the dogs, talking about Gentiles, people that were no people. And she said, oh, but Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table, right? Even the dogs get the crumbs. Look, think about it. What did Jesus say unto her next? He had been searching. He had been searching through all of Israel. And what did he say? He said, I've not found a greater faith in all of Israel than the faith of this woman that is a what? Gentile. One that's away from the covenants. That shows us, church, that Jesus was looking in His ministry for fruit. Amen. And for three years, He found none. 
Just cut it down to the ground. Why does, it even, why does it even cumber the ground? Why does it even bother the ground? Just get rid of it. Listen, what was done by God to ensure that fruit should have been there for this nation? What was done by our Lord? Listen, God, number one, God has given every opportunity and word for, and blessing for Israel to be fruitful. Listen, His choosing of Israel had nothing to do with their uniqueness, as I said a while ago. Abraham the liar, Moses, you know, disobedient, Jacob being deceiving, adulterer David, all of those people. But I want you to know something. It was never about the people. It was about God. It was always about God and His choosing this nation to do one thing. Well, a couple of things. Bring His Word, bring His Son, and bring blessing to all the world that would believe on His Son. You know what was done? Look at Romans with me, chapter 9, verse number 1. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. I'm glad Paul didn't lie to us. He said, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. He said, for I wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen. Look at this. Stay right here. My kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul said, I, I, stay on that one. I, I wish that they would be saved. He said, I, I wish that my brethren, my kinsmen, that Israel will be saved. He said, and it's something that bothers me constantly. But Paul said, it's like a great heaviness and continual sorrow that's on me that I think about them all the time and I want them to be saved. But look what he says, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And now he explains who they are. Look at this next verse. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises who are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. Go back at verse number 4 right there and look at what it says. He said, they are Israelites. And look at all of this stuff that God did for the Israelites and called them so that they would have fruit. Look, listen, this is the soil. This is the water. This is the nutrients. He's saying, listen, they, are, they have everything that pertains to adoption. I called them a people who were no people. Abraham was, listen, making false idols underneath his daddy in the land of Ur of the Chaldees before I came to him. He was nothing. Abraham was not the person that you think. He was not Father Abraham when God saw him. He was just Abram. He was just plain old Abram and Sarai, and they were just what? Working underneath their, his father that was an idol maker, according to Jewish tradition and the Mishnah and the Haggadah, the traditional papers and writings that they have. They actually say that Abraham was a seller of his father's idols before he came to God. And that he asked a woman one day, why would you come in and purchase an idol that I just made hours or moments ago and go home and worship it? God called him out of his father's house. And he said, go to a land that I'll show you. You know what? Abraham believed God, and his belief in God was accounted unto him, paid his bill. It was put unto what? Accounted unto him for righteousness. God said, the Israelites, they should understand what pertaineth to the adoption. He said, they should understand the glory of God. He's talking about people that saw the cloud in the daytime, the fire, a pillar of fire at night. He's talking about a people... Brother Adam, that they felt the Shekinah glory of God in the temple and the people were not able to stand to minister. 
He's talking about a people that they saw a sea open up as they walked across on dry ground and then turn around and swallow a whole Egyptian army and God took out their enemies in seconds. He said, you should know about the glory of God and what He can do. You should know that you turn that and you throw that rod down and it turns into a snake. He said, you should understand those things. He said, but you should also understand that even when those magicians of Egypt could do the same thing, that my glory is even greater because when you threw it back down, it ate up all of theirs. Amen. Brother Jack, he said, they knew what the covenants were. And listen, this is not talking about their covenants to God. This is talking about what we spoke about last year, about the blood covenants that God made with them. He's saying you should know what God has promised you and what God has covenanted with you and what God has done. You should be the people that are fruitful in the law. Why? Because of the giving of the law and the service of God, knowing what it is and the joy it is to serve God. Do you know what the high priest used to wear as he would serve God? Every single day he wore a solid white, white robe, <coughs> had the tunic, had the belt, but then he had this thing called an ephod that was on him. It had 12 stones which represented the 12 tribes of Israel on the outside on the front breastplate. Then on the back side of that, it had the Urim and the Thummim. It was the white and black stone. And he knew God was going to answer. But he walked around and at the bottom, around the hem of the garment there, there were sewn on there things that looked like pomegranates, which was what? If you bust a pomegranate open, the seeds, you go everywhere, right? I hate those things. And people go, oh, I just love it. And it's like seed spit, seed, you know, like, uh. but he's talking about that he would multiply them. And so the high priest was walking around going, God's going to do a great work with us. God's going to bless us as the seeds of the pomegranates. God's going to continue to bless us and continue to bless us. Then, it, then, uh, then on the side of that, it was a pomegranate shown on there and then a bell. And the scriptures actually say it this way, a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell. And can you imagine the high priest, amen, when God was blessing and they were getting the blessings of God, they saw the glory of God, the law of God, the covenants of God. Man, he'd go into the house of God and it would just be tingling, you know, chiming and all the people. Listen, you get out in your tent and you go, listen, shh, quiet, listen, shh. They can hear that high priest in there as he's praising God, amen. And he, the bells are ringing around on the bottom of his hymn during that time, during all, every day, all of that. He said, you know all this stuff. Paul says in that next part, he says, and who are of the fathers in verse 5. And he says, and you should know this, and it's whom concerning Christ. He said, concerning the flesh and knowing that God was going to send Christ. You know what Christ means? It's talking about Messiah. It's talking about the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah. You should, you knew about him more than all of the world. You understood in the covenants and in the promises that all of those things were shadows and that Jesus was the real thing. And you missed it. He said, and you missed it. Every bit of it. I came looking for fruit from you, and I found none. And that's why he didn't pitch a fit and say, well, I tell you what, I was starving, and you got nothing, no more. He didn't pitch a fit, church. He actually, he judged that tree. And he told that tree that if you're going to be a lying tree, then you're not going to bear fruit anymore. 
And I'm going to remove all of my blessings. Here's the five things that he did that we learn of the parable. He said, God had done so much, number one, for Israel, so that the world may love and know him. Think about it. God did so much for Israel. So that not just Israel. Here's the thing about it. And I'll tell you what. Calvinist doctrine is a doctrine that I believe is straight from hell. I don't like it. I hate it. I think it is something that is heresy, and I think it is a messed up doctrine. And uh, I don't, you call all your buddies and tell them I said it, that's fine. They can call me. They know, they know me, and I'm not ever going to go that way. People say, well, you've got to be a Calvinist or an Arminius. No, no, I don't. I, I'm, a, I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I, I have my salvation by the sovereignty of God because why he sent his son, and he said, and all that believe in his son shall have everlasting life. I believe in his son, and so I have everlasting life. That's who I am. That's who I'll always be. Listen, God did so much for Israel so that the world may know and love him. God did not do all of this for Israel just so that Israel, a selected few, would be saved. No. God didn't send His Son to die on the cross just so a selected few would be saved. I listened to a message this morning about that in my office. I get in the truck and turn the radio on at 1240-something. The same stinking message is going on. And it's talking about that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He did not die for the sins of the world. He only died for the sins of those who would be saved. That's a lie. That's a lie. John the Baptist said, Here's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. The Bible says to him that believeth on him, to him gave you the power to become the sons of God. The Bible tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be saved. God so loved the whole world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. From the guttermost to the uttermost, it doesn't matter your classification of money. If you're a blue collar, if you're a white collar, if you ain't even got a collar, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ came to die for the sins of the whole world. World. You had all of this more than anybody else, and I wanted to bless the world through you. I wanted to use you to do these things. Number two, He has provided every way for Israel, as well as us, to be fruitful. He provided every way for Israel, as well as us, to be fruitful. He's given everything. Romans 5. Number three, he has been long-suffering to Israel as well as us. He's long-suffering. Years and years and years. It wasn't just three years, church. That was three years that God himself was there in their presence. It was thousands of years even before that he tried to get them to produce fruit. He's long-suffering. Number four, he judged Israel and cut them off from his blessed vineyard. And you know what? He can do the same with us. He, he judged Israel, and he removed the blessings and the nourishment from them. He pulled it away. But here's the last thing, number five. He is not finished with Israel. You know, you know why he's not finished with Israel, don't you? You better know after like four weeks of Daniel. You know why? Just sum it up like this. Because there's still time on the clock. A few years ago, a team had like one second on the clock. <clears throat> Hang on a second. I'm trying to keep my dinner down. <clears throat> it nauseates me. One second on the clock. People have already turned the game off, given up, walk away. They're mad, throwing things around. People stand up. They go, oh, ain't nothing going to happen. I see it all the time. I, and when people come to my house and watch a game like that, I ask them to leave. They got no faith. I tell them, you got no faith. Oh, you have a little faith. One second, the whole game turned inside out, upside down. And they're still talking about it today. 
every time we turn the game on. In a few more weeks, then you're going to see it about 40 more times. <laughs> There's, why? It didn't matter. It didn't matter what you said. You could have said whatever you wanted to. It didn't matter. You know what? All they got to do is just point to the scoreboard and say, there was still one second on the, on the clock. There's still time on the clock. And if there's time on the clock, that means God's not finished. And Israel has seven years. There's seven years left that God's going to do something with them. Listen, I, I want you to take time tonight and turn with me to Luke chapter 21. I'd like to start preaching now from here. Um, I usually joke about that, but I'm, I'm, I'm really not tonight. <laughs> I want you to look with me, read with me just, just a few verses of scriptures. And I, I want you to really, really, please turn there. If you've got a Bible, turn there because they're not going to have this. I told them don't put it on there. Luke chapter number 21, I want you to look at verse number 5. And I want you to just really, really listen to me tonight. And <clears throat> if you can hold it in, hold it in. It says in verse number 5, 21 verse 5 of Luke, this is the same thing, the discourse that Jesus teaches in Matthew 24. He says, and as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He says, And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near, go ye not thereafter, uh, therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end <clears throat> is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilence, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands upon you or on you, and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for testimony. Look at what he says. So settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you <clears throat> shall they cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not a hair of your head perish, and your patience possess your souls. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know the desolation thereof is nigh. Matthew 24 says it's the uh, desolation of abomination. We're talking about when the Antichrist comes in the temple, that third temple, and declares himself God. Listen to these words. He says, Then let them which are in Judea, it says, flee into the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. For these, look at this, these be the days of vengeance, that all things, look at this, which are written may be fulfilled. God's saying here, Jesus is saying that all of Daniel would be fulfilled. You see that? You can underline that word fulfilled. It says, verse 23, it says, But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck or breastfeed in those days. For there shall be great distresses in the land, and the wrath upon his people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. Look at this word. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and moon and the stars and upon the distress of nations, upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking for those things which are coming to the earth. For powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in cloud 
with power and great glory. You remember now he's talking to the Israelites. He says, and when these things began to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake unto them a parable. Well, well. Behold the fig tree and all the trees, which they now shoot forth. You see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise you, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away to all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And we're going to come back. Keep your hand right there. You know, I want to walk with you really quick through a lot of the history, things that have been hitting me and things that I've been studying, trying to do. And this is going to be very, very quick, but just pay attention. It's just going through the timeline. In 32 AD, Jesus comes to Jerusalem riding in on that donkey. And you know what he does? As he does that day, he runs out the money exchangers and he tells them, you've turned the house of God into a den of thieves. He said, you go out here and you're sin and you're doing all this stuff and you want to come in here and call it a safe haven or a safe sanctuary. And he said, what you're doing is, is you're going to die in your sin and the temple's not going to save you. No more than you as a Baptist that says once saved, always saved, think you can go out there and do whatever you want to and you don't have to live a Christian life and you can just do whatever you want because as a wee little Baptist, you got saved and as a wee little Baptist, you got dunked. I'm going to tell you something, you're going to be in a wee lot of trouble someday when you stand before the judgment of God because it ain't the Baptist that saves you. It's Jesus Christ in the blood that saves you. And Jesus comes over there to that fig tree the next day in 32 AD. Remember, he comes in and he looks at that fig tree and he says, no more. He cursed the fig tree and the fig tree withered up. You know what he said? He said, they all looked at him and said, Jesus, look at this temple. Oh, wow, this is so beautiful. They, they looked at it. They said, Wes, you think you could build us one like that? And Wes said, well, if we build it out of steel, I could, you know, <clears throat> and out of metal. And he looks at it. Oh, look at all these ornaments and all that stuff. And Jesus, I tell you what, all these stones that are upon one another, he said, None of them will be left. They're going to be laying on the ground. He told them. He said, your stuff that you're doing here, your temple is desolate and it's going to dry up. And you know what happened? About 38 years later, a guy by the name of Josephus, Flavus Josephus, wrote it in his book. And I've been reading it for like weeks, trying to get all this stuff in my head and understand it all. And he spoke about a general by the name of Titus that came in and he overtook Jerusalem. And they ransacked everything in the city, burned down the city. They took down the temple. They did everything. The only thing that they believe is still left from that is only one wall. And they still pray over there at that wall every single day and every single night. Right now, they're over there starting their day is going to pray at that thing. You know what Jesus said? He said, your house is left desolate and it's empty and it's going to wither up. And they saw it, Brother Jack. He said, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. What does that mean? He was saying, Peter, John, Philip, all of those that were standing around, he said, I tell you, this generation will not pass away till this be fulfilled. And you say, Brother Steve, you think they're still alive? No, they're not alive. They've been dead for years. What Jesus was talking about is the actual fulfilling of what I'm telling you. You're going to see in a wonderful illustration played out in front of you because this generation is going to see what I'm talking about, that they're going to see the beginning of Israel being withered and they're not going to be anymore. And Israel hasn't been anymore. As a matter of fact, after 32 AD and 70 AD when the Romans came in and destroyed it, listen, what happened? The Jews were dispersed out in the land. They were mad. They were upset. They were throwing people off. 
They were getting rid of people. They were throwing them off the Temple Mount and killing them. They were boiling. Paul was doing these things. What happened? Christianity came on the rise in 300 all the way to 600 A.D. What happened? Christianity began to flourish and to begin to grow. But then all of a sudden, a man by the name of Caliph Omir, or Caliph Omir, he was the birth of Islam, 638. In 638, Islam became on the rise, and all of a sudden, he marched his troops into Jerusalem and overtook the Temple Mount, overtook everything in Jerusalem. The Christians were scattered, the Jews were scattered, and ever since then, they've been looking for a homeland. In 691, after they conquered Jerusalem, do you know what was built? The Dome of the Rock. And the Israelites have not been able to go on top of that Dome of the Rock and offer a sacrifice to their God ever since the day of 70 AD when they marched in and destroyed the Temple. They've not offered a sacrifice there at all. Not at all. Even Brother Heath, we were talking about the other day, and sent me a video. Even the Jews today can't offer sacrifice unless it's on top of the Temple Mount. And they did a sacrifice, but a Gentile had to do it. And they did it on the other side of the Kidron Valley. Because the Jews are now waiting to sacrifice on that mount. They want to build that third temple. They're wanting to do these things, but the Dome of the Rock is built. Then we know what happened after that as Islam began to rise up. Then the Mongolians came in from China and they attacked the Muslims and they overtook things. And then they were telling uh, all of the Christians, all of the ones that were in Jerusalem, you can't come here anymore. So in 1096, are y'all with me? In 1096, that Pope Gregory II sent out, Pope Paul Urban II sent out all these people called crusades, on crusades, Christian crusades, and they called them Christian crusaders. And what they did is they marched all the way from Europe. They came down out of Rome, and as they came into Jerusalem, they told all of those people, you said we can't come here, we're coming here. And they overtook them, and they overtook the Temple Mount, and they killed people. They actually did, listen to me, they actually did what even Islam does today, slicing throats, and they said they were doing it in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, they didn't do it in the name of Jesus. But they were overcoming that Temple Mount. Then after 1096, what happened? Let's move on up to what we talked about. Remember when that black horse came in? In 1347, what happened? The Black Plague. All this stuff that we think happened so long ago, really didn't happen so long ago. Okay? 1347, what happened? The Black Plague came in, and when it came in, the Jews were accused of poisoning the whales with the bodies of the people that had Black Plague so that they can overtake. And so what happened? All the Jews that were dispersed were killed. They were being slaughtered. Brother Bill, the Jews never had a homeland. They never had a homeland. Then what happened in the 1500s? The rise of the printing press came in, the Gutenberg press. You remember in the 1500s, 1514 to 1517, what began to take place? Martin Luther went over to the Catholic Church and he wrote a 95 thesis and nailed it to the door and then told them, I don't believe all this and I don't believe all that and you can't baptize babies and that's not true and this is not true. And then they had an outbreak. They wanted to kill him. The printing press came to be and the Bibles are now being produced. Now the Bibles are not just into the hands of popes and not in the hands of priests and chained to the to the desk itself but yet they're printing Bibles and now they got them and they're sending them out people like John Wycliffe and John Huss are being burned at the stake but they're saying oh Lord let the eyes of the king be opened up 
Then we move all the way up into the 1600s to 1795. And what was it? It was a huge move of God. The blessings of God. Listen, we had the Geneva Bible. We had the King James Bible. We had all of this stuff. And people were being saved. All of a sudden, people were no longer arguing about having a Bible. But now they're arguing about, listen, which one's right or not? They were, they were, they were people on this side, Brother Craig, going, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And you know, these people are here going, we got more spirit. We got more of the Holy Ghost. Because we got the Geneva Bible. And these were going, we got the more of the Holy Ghost because we got the King James Bible. And these people are saying, we got it all. And they're arguing and all that. But the Word of God is growing. But Christians are being killed. Not only Christians, but there are Jews that are being killed. And then all of a sudden in 1897, all of the Jews, just like Christians, that begin to move out of the country and out of Europe. They begin to go over and, listen, we find our own land. We go over here and we say to the advancement of the Christian faith, here we are. We plant the Americas. We colonize. We do this stuff so that the Word of God would grow. They're actually saying history books that people went to South America to look for gold. They came to North America to look for God. That's right. what's said. And we were sharing it. We were converting. We were helping people see Jesus Christ. And then, all of a sudden, in 1897, the Jews began to flee also. Because there was this huge, huge group of people. They were called the Ottoman. They began to come in and overtake the land out of Russia, out of everywhere. And they overtook the land. All this stuff is going on. Stay with me. I do have a point. All this stuff is going on. And, and the Jews say, you know what? We've got to get out of here. And so they begin to start trying to make their way over to the Americas, but then they settle over in Europe. And you know what happens in 1897? It's the first council in, 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 in Switzerland. They have this first council meeting, what's called the Zionist movement. If you don't understand what the Zionist movement is, it was, it was in order to call all of the Jewish people to their homeland. But Brother Bill, listen, they didn't have a homeland. You can't call people to come home if you ain't got no home. They didn't have a homeland. Then all of a sudden, you know what happened in 1914. You guys in the military, you ladies that understand history and all that stuff. 1914, World War I. One guy was executed. They actually came in and assassinated him. And that's how the war began to start. All these things began to happen. This power wanted this and this power wanted that. People didn't want to be involved. And then when they didn't want to be involved, they got sucked into it and all this stuff. And then there's the Jews that are in the midst of all of that stuff. But in 1914, you know what happened? <clears throat> there was actually a man that was a British minister of foreign affairs, that he was there in Britain, and they were needing all of the allies. They were needing all of the help that they could do, they could have. And so what did he do? He got a piece of paper, and he wrote on a document, and he said, to all of the Jewish immigrants that will help us fight and become our allies, we promise you to have homeland in the Palestinian area. Sign that thing. Signed it. Listen, you think when I look back in history and I think about my high school and my raising and stuff, I think about all these things in war. Now, I don't think it just becoming and starting a war because of something this small. But that's what happens. Yeah. Wrote that little bitty document and sent it out. And all of the Arabs and the Palestinians said, no, no, no. I don't care who they are and who they think owns this land of Israel down here because the British had control. We're not letting those Jewish people come in. We're not giving them a homeland. And so you know what? They fought and they fought and they fought. You know, you know what happens next? 1939. A few years go by, about 20 years of peace go by, and what happens? 1939. World War II. 
back-to-back wars. Hitler comes on the scene, this evil presence, dictator, evil, devilish man. He comes in, you know what? How many people were killed? 60 million. Six million were Jews. It's estimated that 60 million died in World War II. Fighting over what? It was property. The Russians would come in. Germans attacked Russia. They come in. They were supposed to be partnered together. He turns around and attacks them. That's how evil this guy was. Then all of this gets involved. America gets drug into it. Then all of a sudden, the islands over here get drug in. They come over and bomb us in Pearl Harbor. All this stuff. Some of you even remember, understand some of that stuff. I don't know. I mean, some of you had parents that were told, told you vivid stories of this stuff. Generations right there at it, church. Listen, then 1947, the war is over. And you know what happens? Britain turns power over to Jerusalem, gives it to the U.N., you know, I wouldn't give him a dollar, but anyway, he gives it to the UN. And then they say what? All right, the Palestinians and the Jews, you're just going to have to get along. Because we're going to cut this thing up in a certain way. We're going to cut the West Bank up like this. Or we're going to cut the Gaza Strip up like this. And we're going to give you this and give you that. And all of them are like, no. The Jews were like, we just want Jerusalem. We just want Jerusalem. We just want Jerusalem. Give us Jerusalem. No, you're not getting none of that. And you know as well as I do in our days that we live, our, listen to the word, generation, They've done nothing but fight. Church, in the 1900s, we have known nothing but wars. Wars. And I didn't mention Vietnam, didn't mention Cold Wars, because they're just all extensions from World War I and World War II. All of these things, even in the Iraqi wars and the stuff that's going on now, it's all an extension of what? It is Arabs, Muslims, it is Jews fighting over what? We think that it's actually this kind of sense we're fighting over oils and all these things. That's just the tactic of Satan that is causing this division and this rift that's going on. The reason that we fight is because evil and good. Period. And all this stuff. In the 1900s, listen to me, we've known nothing but wars. We have seen more bloodshed and people die in the 1900s than Alexander the Great ever conquered. 60 million in one war. All of this stuff. And Jesus said, you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nations. Kingdoms will rise up against kingdoms. Which understanding is religions will rise against religions. These things are going to happen. He said, you need to understand these things are going to happen. What did Jesus say? He said, but do not be afraid. Do not be terrored. He said, it's not the end yet, not by and by. He said, but then something's going to happen. And what did Jesus say when he wrapped it up? Stay with me just for a minute. What did he say when he wrapped it up? He said, if you want a sign, I'll give you a sign. He said, when you see the fig tree getting tender and it's shooting forth its branch and you see leaves, you know summertime's coming. He said, when you see that, then you need to also know that my kingdom is coming. Church, we're not in that. We're not in that. We read over here in the New Testament where we find out the Bible says, Behold, I show you a mystery. He said, which was hidden. The Bible says in Daniel, he said, Don't you write it, seal the book, because it's hid from your eyes. You won't understand what I'm going to be doing with this other people. No. But he told them all these things are going to happen. Church, and then all of a sudden, here's the last two dates. May the 14th, 1948. You know what happened? Israel... The Jewish nation, finally after thousands of years, church, listen, after, pay attention, after thousands of years, not having a homeland, ever since the day Jesus cursed the fig tree, 
Rome came in, they've got nothing. They've never had a place to call home. Even, Brother Craig, when they were under the rule of, uh, of, uh, of Cyrus and, and all of them, they had a home because he allowed them to go and do that. But when Jesus cursed the fig tree, they never had a temple, never had a place anymore. All the way up. March the 14th, excuse me, May the 14th, 1948. You know what the UN did? Allowed the Israel people, the Israelites, the Jewish people to come in and have a homeland. And all of a sudden, church, we see something. We see the fig tree. The fig tree's planted. They're planted back. And we need to pay attention to this. They're planted back. You know what happened last year? Last year on May the 14th, 2018. Last year, the United States goes over there, and Donald Trump, our president, says that we're going to take the U.S. Embassy, which is a symbol of us understanding where the capital of Israel is. And you know what he says? Not, not so many words, because he's very, not very tactful. But we're going to put it in Israel. We're going to put it in Jerusalem. So all of a sudden, the Israelites go nuts. Jewish people are going crazy. And I know you're thinking, well, what does that mean to us? I want, I want to show you this. I want you to look at this. These are things from the coin. I want you to look at the coin with me tonight, the front of it. This is called the temple coin, and it was printed last year. And I want you to look at it. It has the language. It's in Hebrew, it's in Arabic, and it's in English. And in the English, it's quoting Isaiah chapter 60, verse number 8, and it says, like doves to their nests. I want you to understand something looking at that. That on that coin, that ain't the U.S. Embassy. That's the temple. If you could see, and you can't see it, and you can go and look it up, but if you look in the middle, in the center of it all, there's a menorah lampstand that's inside there. You know what also is also what an awesome thing to think about? Is that, you know what Jesus said? He said, I shall not give you a sign concerning the end of the age, except for the sign of Noah. He said, just as in the days of Noah, he said, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. They shall be eating and drinking, giving into marriage, and doing all these things, and not know about it until what? Until the flood happens in judgment. He said, just in the days of Noah. If you'd look at the top right of that, what a big, huge quinkening there. But there is the dove with the olive branch in its mouth, this wonderful symbol of what Noah sent out of the ark, isn't it? A lot of these people think, well, that's just all some people making it that way. These are Jewish people making this. It's not Christian people making this. But I want you to look at the other side, the back side of the coin. If you look at it, you're going to see this ugly mug first right there in the middle. It's Donald Trump. I know it is because of his hair. If you can't look on this back side, on this right over here, there's our United States seal as we're holding the, uh, the, the arrows and the eagle. And the, but if you look at the top, you have the menorah. If you look over to the left, it, it, you can't see it on here, but it says the Persian Empire. And there's this rolled up thing at the bottom. That's the thing I told you about about four weeks ago about the cuneiform of, of Cyrus, that he wrote a decree on that thing and that clay pottery and said that Israel could go back and that they could build their temple. And if you see, that's not Donald Trump's shadow behind him, but that is Cyrus, King Cyrus. And they're actually calling Donald Trump now King Cyrus. Why? Because from May 14th, 1948 to May 14th, 2018, 70 years. The Israelites think that they have been in bondage for 70 years, just like they were to the Babylonians. And now here they are and they have this stuff. Church, this isn't to make you afraid. This is to make you aware that it is coming closer now than it ever has been. And you ought to look at things like this and go, That's right. 
You should. Well, Brother Steve, we don't know the hour nor the day. I, I know that. I'm that's the rapture. We're in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. We ain't talking about the rapture. We're talking about the boat. No one knew it was going to rain whenever he was finishing the boat. We need to know that Christ is going to come back and get the church when? When he says, you see all these things are happening around you. And what should we learn? Jesus says in the first scripture, learn from the parable of the fig tree. What should we learn, Lord? Number one, when we see the branches tender, we need to be ready. But not only that, here's the last thing that I say to you tonight, and you can go home and chew on this one. Jesus said that this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Talking about whenever that withered fig tree, Brother Josh, when it withered up, they all saw when Titus marched in there and destroyed Jerusalem. What if in the same sense, church, that he says this generation shall not pass away until all these things are fulfilled? You know, there's still people that are doing their thing in that same period time frame of when Israel started budding. What if the Lord is ready to come back now? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are your friends ready? Is your family ready? What if he says, listen, you say, well, Steve, what do you mean by that? Jesus has always kept his word. This generation shall not pass away. And it doesn't make sense to think that he was talking about Paul, uh, Peter and, and John and all those guys. They saw it in the beginning first fruits. We're seeing it do what? Branch and come out. Amen. And man, church is so much more than spaghetti and you need to get that in your head. Amen. Church is so much more than, oh, I'm just going to come up here and shake somebody's hand and talk to somebody. No, we need to get ready. Amen. We need to get ready. Father, we love you and we ask you that you just be with us as we leave and go home tonight. God, I pray that these things would stick as we always talk about, Lord, stick to the crawl.